Welcome. We're so glad you've taken this opportunity to grow your faith by listening to this teaching. At CLC, it is our heart to see every believer equipped to fulfill the plan that God has for your life. For more information about Celebration Life Church, you can visit our website at celebrationlife.ca. Now, let's hear some faith-building teaching from our pastors. Praise the Lord. Easter Sunday. It's a good day. I was glad when they said, let us go to the house of the Lord. It doesn't matter how you came here. If you're sitting in a car, you're sitting in a chair, or you're with us at home, you're with us. And you came to the house of the Lord. Hallelujah. We are the house of the Lord. And you're together with us here. Hallelujah. I was just reading and and in, it's so wonderful to be in a, I teach at a Christian school. So I get to like really talk about the word and think about the word. And we're at this phase in the time where we're talk more about than just Jesus loves us. And, and love is like, you know, like every answer is like, it's love or Jesus. Now we're actually asking questions and talking about God's word. And they're asking deep, deep questions. And it's like, you know what? I don't know the answer to that question. <laughs> But I have some ideas, but we can talk about it together. And it's so exciting when they when the word starts to open up in people's lives. And it doesn't matter how many times you read something, it can open up and it's alive and it grows a little bit differently and it gets bigger and bigger. And I just love how Jesus told people that he would die. And it said in it says in Mark, you can turn there, Mark 8 and 31 in the Amplified. I'm just going to read this. He, be, he said, and he began to teach them that the Son of Man must, of necessity, suffer many things and be tested and disapproved and rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be put to death after three days rise again from death. I just... I was just thinking he was teaching them. Jesus was teaching him, them, the disciples, ultimate teacher. I think he was good. I'm, I teach well. I teach kindergarten and people come in and they go, I could never do what you do. Amen. And I've seen people that come and think they could. Oh, but I'd like to see them try. <laughs> and even, even teachers that teach other older grades, they'll come and they're like, I don't know, no. And then, and then I'll go over there and I'm like, no, thank you very much. I'll take my kindergarten friends any day. <laughs> Hallelujah. Bless you if you have older children. Hallelujah. I just love their wonder about everything. And so when I teach them, I don't just tell them one time. And bless God, if I just told them one time, we wouldn't, they wouldn't learn. In fact, like I'll tell them more than once. And then I'll, we'll go back. Okay, everybody, instruction time. Teach them. Okay, now go and do at your table spot. Wouldn't you know that some people go, oh, what are we supposed to do? Hmm. Hmm. There were some disciples and people that were like, what are we supposed to do? And Jesus wasn't just right next to them at that moment, like in the what are we supposed to do? But think back, he taught them. He began to teach them that the Son of Man must, of necessity, suffer many things, and then he would be put to death, and then he would rise uh, three days later. He would rise again. 
that seems like a pretty, like, wouldn't that stick in your mind? I think it, I, I think it would stick in my mind that they, that he taught this, but he taught them many things and they're like, I just don't get it. But he told them, he told them that this was going to happen. Maybe they thought that, I don't know, that after he lived a long life, maybe, you know, he would have a long life, he'd be on the earth and then he'd die. That's how it normally goes. Well, hopefully not getting sick because Jesus healed people. So it wouldn't have been that, but it said that he had to be put to death. So I wonder at the chaos that ensued and the, the people actually, what they're doing is not believing what he said. They didn't believe what he said. That's sad that he died. He went to the cross. It was horrible, but they didn't believe what he said. He said he would die. And the thing is, God always keeps his word. Yes, he does. And so what he said was going to come to pass. So he died. And then he said, three days rise again. But there was no expectation in them. There was no expectation. They didn't believe his word. And they didn't expect that he would keep his word. A little bit later in John 20, it says in verse 11, you can, we're going to start there. But Mary remained standing outside the tomb, sobbing. As she wept, she stood down and looked into the tomb and saw two angels in white sitting there, one at the head and one at the feet where the body of Jesus had lain. Pretty neat. <laughs> Pretty neat. Pretty cool to see two. I, you know, I haven't seen that. I haven't seen that yet. Haven't seen the angels standing somewhere. You know, they, they usually, like, every time they're like, do not be afraid. Because they're pretty, you know, I don't think I'd be afraid. I think I'd be, yes, I saw some angels. And then I'd be telling people, I saw some angels. It was really cool. And not the Cupid kind. They're, like, really cool. And they said to her, talked to her. Cool, cool again. They talked to her and said, woman, why are you sobbing? Why are you crying? Didn't Jesus say he was going to die and then he was going to rise again? I mean, he raised the dead. It's not too big a thing for him. Why are they crying and upset? She told them, because they have taken away my Lord and I don't know where they have laid him. And on saying this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not know him or recognize that it was Jesus. Woman, why are you crying so? For whom are you looking? Supposing that it was the gardener, she replied, Sir, if you carried him away from here, tell me where you have put him, and I will take him away. Didn't see Jesus. So caught up in circumstance, so caught up in what had happened, that she missed. She didn't believe that he would keep his word and do what it said wasn't expecting him to keep his word and couldn't see right in front of her when Jesus was there. Said, Mary, and turning around, to, to said to him in Hebrew, Rabbani, which means teacher or master. She heard his voice, though. Remember that you can hear his voice. We can also expect God to keep his word. We can look on with expectation, knowing that it will come to pass. And also, we can hear his voice. Hallelujah.
blessing. We've got another pastor that's going to come on up and speak. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. And after Pastor Ann's experience with her Bible last week, I brought my electronic <laughs> Bible. <laughs> <laughs> I can let you use mine, Pastor. Okay. And my notebook has a clip in it, so it doesn't isn't going to go anywhere either. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Oh, glory to God. Okay. Hallelujah. I want everybody to turn to 1 Peter 5. 1 Peter 5. Hallelujah. So as I was praying about um, this this morning and Resurrection Sunday and everything like that, <clears throat> the Lord gave me this statement. And he said, we couldn't have today, Resurrection Sunday, if we didn't have Friday, when he went to the cross. And then he said, we couldn't have Friday if we didn't have the Garden of Gethsemane. I thought, okay, well, what exactly happened in the Garden of Gethsemane that made the cross possible, which made today possible, which made the resurrection of Jesus Christ possible? What was that that, 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 that made that happen? And in two simple words, humble thyself. He humbled, Jesus humbled himself. Amen. So in 1 Peter 5, starting in verse 6, it says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your cares upon him, for he careth for you. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour, whom resists steadfast in faith, knowing that in the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. But the God of all grace, who hath called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after ye have suffered a little while, make you perfect, establish you, strengthen you, and settle you. Amen, amen, amen. Oh, hallelujah. When Jesus went into the Garden of Gethsemane with all of his disciples, he took three of them with him, Peter, James, and John. And he took them off um, away from the other disciples, and, they, and he said, pray. You stay here and you pray, and I'm going to go off and I'm going to pray. And he went off and he prayed. And he was, having, he was having a hard time because he had to make a choice right at that moment. He had to make a choice right there that he was going to go to the cross. If you remember, in, in um, there's four different versions. Well, there's four versions of it that give you that whole picture in Matthew 26, in Mark 14, in Luke 22, and John 18. Basically, what he said is he said, Lord, if there's any way that I don't have to do this, if you can make that so, please do that. But I want to do your will more than I want that to happen. So if this is how you want it to happen, okay, I will do this. 
and he went and he, he prayed that the first time and then he came back to the disciples, to, to the three disciples, and they were asleep. And he woke them up and he said, you know, you got to pay attention here. You need to be praying in case you get tempted. Amen? In, in case you get tempted. And so then he went back and he prayed again. And he prayed the same prayer. Lord, if, it, if you can take this cup from me, please do. Otherwise, I will do it. I will do it. I will submit myself. I will humble myself. I will trust you that you're going to do what you told me you were going to do. Yes, I'm going to get scourged and I'm going to get beaten and I'm going to get um, so battled and so beaten down that you barely even recognize me. You see, what he was, what Jesus was concerned about was he knew that when he went to that cross with the weight of the sin of the world on his shoulders, that he was going to be separated from God. He is God, and he was going to be separated from himself. He has never been separated. He had a perfect union with the Father because he was part of the Trinity. He had never, ever experienced that before in his life, and that's what he was having the problem with there. He was going to have to be separated from God there, but he chose to trust. He chose to do, verse 6, humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God. Choose to trust God. Choose to trust him that he is going to do what he says he's going to do in your life. That he, God our Father, may exalt you in due time. Jesus knew that due time was coming. He knew that due time was coming. Oh, hallelujah. And he cast his cares upon Christ. He cast his cares upon his father at that point. He said, Okay, Lord, I trust you. I'm going to do this. I choose to take this cup. I choose to take this responsibility. I choose to humble myself before you and do what you have asked me to do. I choose to trust you and do what you have asked me to do. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Casting all your cares upon him, for he cares for you. He cares for you. He is going to take care of you. You humble yourself. He's going to take care of you. He's going to take care of all your needs. He's going to, he's going to um, show you your path to go. Amen? And then verse 8, it says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. That devil was walking around there at the Garden of Gethsemane in the form of Judas. He was, he was gathering up all of the people that he needed to go and, and take Jesus by force. He was walking around, but Jesus was focused because he had humbled himself, he had trusted in the Lord, and he was able to stay focused on the task at hand. He was able to stay focused on his father and what his father wanted him to do, no matter what was going on around him. He was able to focus on that and go to the cross, take the beatings, Take, take the separation from God and go to the cross so that we can stand here today in freedom. Amen? Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah. Verse 9, Whom resist steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. So, in Matthew, in the Matthew 26 version, of the time of the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus said something to, um, to the disciples and to the people that were there. He said, 
Don't you think I could call down 12 legions of angels and to, to take care of you? Don't you think I could do that? I could ask my father and he would do that in a split second. He still, he had power and authority to do what he wanted to do. But he chose to humble himself. He chose to trust God, his father, at that point and walk that walk that God the father wanted him to walk. He chose to do that. Even though he could have done that, he could have knocked them all out, right? Amen. And then in the version in John 18, he comes up to them and the people ask him, are you Jesus? And he says, I am. He says, I am. And they all fell down. They all fell down. And then he got up again. Then they all got up again and they asked him again. Are you Jesus? And he said it again. I am. I am. Amen. Notice that he was walking in full power and authority of God our Father in heaven at that moment. Because he had chosen to humble himself, trust his Father, and walk the walk that his Father had walked, not be concerned about what was going on around him. He had full power and authority. When he spoke out, I am. I am. Those people just got slain in the Lord. They had no idea what was happening to them. And they got up and asked the question again. Now, if that had happened to me at that point, and if I was back there in the Garden of Gethsemane, and I went and they, I, I asked who he was, and he said, I am. And I'm like, how did I get down to the floor? What happened here? What happened here? And got back up and asked that again? That's kind of silly. Anyways, <laughs> just putting that out there. He chose to humble himself, and by humbling himself, he walked in the power and the authority that God has given him. When we choose to humble ourselves and walk in that power and authority, we can walk in that power and authority because we're listening to God, we're trusting to God, and that allows his power and authority to come up. It was his power and authority that brought us here to Resurrection Sunday. It was his power and authority that brought Jesus out of the pits of hell and raised him up to seat him at, in righteousness at the right hand of God. Amen? Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Glory be to God. Glory be to God. But the God of all grace, verse 10, who hath called us unto this eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after that ye have suffered a while, make you perfect, established, strengthened, and settle you. That is what he's going to do. That is what he's going to do when you trust him. When you decide to humble yourself, you can walk in that peace, that power, and that authority that Jesus walked in those three days. Amen? Hallelujah. Glory be to God. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. And I also did not bring a paper Bible with me. We learn, right? Yes, hallelujah. Praise God. Well, I'm so glad I prayed because otherwise I would be preaching Neil's sermon today too. <laughs> I had it in mind to say some, some very similar things. I'm like, praise God. He's, it's like two sermons in one. He gets to preach it and then I get part two. That's awesome. Amen. So let me start with a little bit of an example. I gave this at discipleship class the other day in talking about how to... Uh, in recognizing how the Lord leads us in our lives. And uh, so this example was uh, when I, a few years back, 
I was at home and I just spent some time in prayer and I was getting ready to go for a coffee and I wanted to just go for a coffee and relax at the Starbucks there. It was a nice day. Uh, it was warm, warmer than it is today. It was uh, sunny outside. So I thought, okay, well, I'll just I'll go to the Starbucks there. And I had this, this prompting on the inside. I just kept seeing myself take one of the books from my library and, and it was very specific. Not the book, but just the thought of taking this book and it was to be a book that had something that talked very plainly about Jesus or God or something right on the front of the book in the title so that people could see it. That was the point. People could see this is talking, this book is about Jesus. This book is about God. And so I thought, oh, and with the intention that someone will see that book that I'm reading and it will be a witness to them. And that in some way that may strike up a conversation. That's a, it's a pretty, pretty distinct thought. I thought at first that, ah, well, whatever, I'll just grab a book. It kept coming to me. So I grabbed, I grabbed a book uh, by Brother Lawrence called uh, The Practice of the Presence of God. And uh, it says right on the, the, to the front of it. It's very plain. So I grabbed this book. And in obedience to what I, that prompting I had, I found a spot right by the door and outside. And I just stuck my book out on the table like that and began to read. Of course, I'm not really reading because my mind's going, who is it that's going to come up and talk to me? But I'm kind of half reading and people walking by and I'm looking, are they looking? No, they're not looking. And I go back to my book and there was someone else sitting next to me uh, across on the other side there. And I kept getting this impression to talk to this person. But honestly, I was really not comfortable just getting up and striking up a conversation. So I just kind of sat there and I said, Lord, you're going to have to help me out here. I, you got you to gotta give me something. And uh, this person starts packing up their stuff. Then they go inside quickly. And as they're walking out, I'm thinking to myself, ah, well, I missed it. I missed it. Stops and turns around and looks at me and says, I saw the book that you're reading. And I want to ask you something. And I said, oh, what's that? I said, how come you Christians think that everyone except you is going to hell? How's that for a conversation starter, eh? So I had a very small window of opportunity to share the gospel. And in that one moment, I was surprised myself what came out. I said, it's not about we think we're right and everyone else is wrong. I said, what it is is that there is only one person who is qualified to save us from our sins, and that person is Jesus Christ. There's only one person qualified. Hallelujah. No one else could have done it. It's not a matter of being right or wrong, or we believe the truth and you don't, and na 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 It's about there's one person who is qualified, only one, and that's Jesus. It's God who became a man, put on flesh, lived sinless life, and you know the story. You know how he went to the cross. You know how he laid his life down. But it's because he was the only one qualified to pay for all of our sins. No one else could have done it. So if you have your Bibles or your other devices that have the Bible on it, turn with me to Hebrews chapter 7. I'm going to read verses 24 and 25. And just before that, I'm going to make this statement. It's a little controversial, but I think you'll appreciate it. 
Christianity is a life lived after the cross. Christianity is a life lived after the cross. It begins with the resurrection. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Your born-again life begins after the re- at the resurrection. It's because Jesus was raised from the dead that we believe. Think about it. How did you get born again? How did that happen? Because you prayed in a nice prayer? What was it? I know you're in Hebrews 7, but I'm going to start quoting from Romans chapter 10. You believed in your heart what? That God raised Jesus from the dead. Hallelujah. When you believe that that had occurred on your behalf, you got born again. Your life as a believer begins with the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. It shouldn't stop there, though. <laughs> Hallelujah. It should not be, hey, I got born again. You know, this, this cross here is a reminder of the sacrifice that Jesus paid. He gave his own sinless life for you and for I. It's a reminder. You see how the Paul put the cross here? It's a reminder of that exchange that he took our sin, became sin. But you know what? If it was just the cross, we'd probably still be sinners. And we'd sing songs about how we're still sinners. Yeah. And we'd just be forgiven sinners. Oh, I'm a sinner. I tend to sin. I just can't help it. It just happens. I just got this flesh I deal with. I just have so many issues. I just thank God he's forgiven me. That should not be our testimony. Hallelujah. Now, thank God that he does forgive you. But your life as a believer begins at the resurrection. Glory to God. The proof that Jesus... His sacrifice is accepted before God the Father was God raising him from the dead. Hallelujah. That is the proof that that sacrifice has been made is accepted by God. And it is the proof, the fact that you can now believe and be justified before God, just as if you had never sinned. So our lives should be lived superior to sin, dominion over sin. In such a way, we exercise the authority of Jesus over sin and death the way that he did. Our lives should have God's life in it. Our lives should have that resurrection life. Hallelujah. Why? How do you know that? Because the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you and I. Hallelujah. And gives his divine resurrection life even to us in these mortal bodies. Our lives, we can bear about in our bodies the death of the Lord Jesus. Why? So that the life of Jesus may also be manifested through us. This is what we should be displaying as believers. Hallelujah. Our lives should be such that others look at us and say, you know what? I know Jesus is alive today because I see him in you. Praise God. I had a situation in the past. There was someone who knew me for a few years when I wasn't walking with the Lord. And this person had said to me, after three months of me turning around and walking with God, said, how is it now that I see that you are the person I always thought that you should have been? 
And I said, because the person you thought I should have been follows Jesus. Hallelujah. And he is alive in me. And that is what it is that you are seeing. Our lives should have that kind of a testimony where people see us and say, I know Jesus is alive because I can see him in you. You love the way that he does. You forgive the way that he does. You demonstrate authority over sickness and sin and demons and fear the way that he does. Hallelujah. We don't serve a dead God. We don't. He is alive. We don't serve a dead God, praise God. Other religions, guess what? Their figurehead, he's dead. He can't help you now. You can do stuff in his name, but you're going to do it on your own power. But our God is alive. Hallelujah. Jesus is alive. And when we do things in his name, it's by his strength and his power. And so everything that we do, we can do in the name of the Lord by his strength and his ability on the inside of us. Hallelujah. We are not limited to our natural selves. We have been born again, born of our Father because of what Jesus has done for us. And I know that sounds like simple gospel, but praise God, if that was real enough to us, we would all be walking just like Jesus did here and now. Demons would run from you at every turn. Hallelujah. Sin would have no place in your life whatsoever. The glory of God would radiate from you in such a way that people would look at you like they did at Moses coming down the mountain. Hallelujah. They'd be turning heads looking at you. Who is that? There's a glow coming off of you, and it's not some new skin cream that you got. There's the light of the glory of God shining brightly from the inside of you. Why? To show that this power is from Him and not of ourselves. Our faith is firmly grounded in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The Bible even goes to the point of saying that if we don't really even believe that the dead are raised or that Jesus is raised or anything like that, our faith is futile and we are still in our sins. The resurrection is key and central to who we are as believers because God didn't just renovate you. He, he made you a new creation. Hallelujah. You're not a renovated sinner. You know, I work in the construction industry, and often we're working in renovations. And a renovation means that, hey, you can strip out all the drywall and, you know, all the cabinetry and all the, you know, the bathrooms. You can put new walls in and stuff like that. But you keep the same basic bones of the house, all right? The plumbing's still the same. The framing is the same, generally speaking. The electrical, the base electrical is the same. And you just renovate. It's not a new home. You are not a renovation. Hallelujah. Sometimes you might feel like that, but hey, you are not a renovation. You are a new creation. Glory to God. All things are new and all things are of God. Praise God. There's a lot more to say, but for the sake of time today, besides, I want to give Pastor Glenn an opportunity to preach. <laughs> Let's go to that verse that I was reading, and then we'll close with it. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 24 and 25. But because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. Permanent priesthood. 
Therefore, he is able to save completely those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to intercede for them. Now, I know that word intercede, we think about prayer, but it's not referring to just prayer. It's not referring to prayer. That intercession means he stands in the gap between us and the Father, and he has reconciled us to himself. It means that he is able to save us completely. Now, I know in our present experience, we're not walking in the fullness of what God has for us. And even on your best day, and where the will of God is being perfectly done in your life today, you still have this flesh body to deal with. And there will be a day when that will all change. Hallelujah. And you will have a glorified, resurrected body, the same as Jesus' resurrected, glorified body. But in the meantime, we must know and believe that He is qualified, He is able, and He has the authority, glory to God, to save us completely, spirit, soul, body, in every single way and situation. The same Savior that saved you from sin is the same one that delivers you now, keeps you safe, keeps you protected, keeps you in a place where He Himself is Lord in your heart. From the moment you rise to the moment you put your head down on the pillow, hallelujah, at every point in between. He is the one that saves us completely, and He ever liveth to do so. He is alive, and He ever liveth to do so. Hallelujah. Can you say amen? Amen. Glory to God. Well, I think I've done enough shouting for this morning, so I will turn it over to someone else who will also shout for the next little while. Hallelujah. Thank you. What a great day of celebration. Amen. Look, I brought a device to you. I'm just not as skillful as those who've gone before. <laughs> Every time I turn it on, I got to figure out, I got to undial a thing. You know, I got to have to have one of our people help me so that it doesn't turn off so quickly. I'm sure there are ways. They all go, uh-huh. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Everybody was so happy, and, and they've given you this great message, and, and I often feel confused at church. Why? Why would I feel confused? Because sometimes I hear things, and I think, but that's not how it's been going for me. And, and I know other people feel that way, too. When I look at those scriptures, Jesus said, I came not to bring peace, but a sword. And these people at church keep talking about peace. And I don't understand how those things go together. Think not I came to bring peace, but a sword. That didn't sound like everything those people were saying this morning. But there's a place that I want to help you navigate through. A place of conviction. Because conviction is not very peaceful. And when God's word comes, it comes as a sword to cut us and cut those things apart so we can have peace. So we can walk in a way that we look like more like Jesus every day. But we're not going to get there giving you a quilt and a pillow and a bunch of nice fluffy things to make you feel good. This is the uncomfortable church. Glory to God. It's about time we got uncomfortable and we we're okay with it. We're not going to change as long as we're trying to make everybody feel good about sin and make an apology for it and say, it's okay, it's okay. No, it's not okay to sin. It's not okay, but it's sure good to be forgiven. 
Hallelujah. We're sure grateful for the blood of Jesus. But if we run every time we feel uncomfortable, every time we feel conviction, if we keep trying to apologize for it and we get caught in the regret of it and we keep telling everybody the excuses of why we fell in it, we're never going to be free of it. Apparently, she's not just shouting, she's spitting, so praise God. Good thing that you're all masked up, amen? <laughs> praise the Lord. Somewhere in here, I have notes. <laughs> now it's trying to update me. Dear Jesus, help me out here. Thank you, Jesus. Somewhere in here, I, ha I have something. Yep, amen. Nope, not that way. Not this way. Praise the Lord. Not now. Amen. Don't you want to be updated? Not today. Not today. Praise Jesus. Where is my document? There it is. Praise the Lord God Almighty. Turn with me to 1 Peter. I know we were in Peter, but we're going to do some more in there. Verse 6, 1 Peter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6. Wherein you greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, your heaviness through manifold temptations. You see, you can rejoice when temptation comes your way. Why? Because you have the blood, that's why. And that doesn't mean, oh, you were tempted. Temptation isn't sin, folks. It's the leading or the bread or the bait to sin. And it is good to know that Jesus paid such a price that when there, it feels like there's so much pressure to give in. And these days have been filled with all kinds of pressures, right? I see people falling all over the place. People not coping, people getting under depression instead of having depression under their feet. People everywhere with manifold temptations, but you don't have to fall for any of them. Not a one of them. You can have the power to resist sin if you'll yield to the power of the blood of Jesus. Amen? So get rejoicing. This thing doesn't have to have power over me anymore. Amen? Well, I know how to deal with pressure, Pastor. I just have a glass of wine. Really? Did that make it go away or just delay? That the trial of your faith. So everybody thinks, all right, God's going to test me with a bunch of junk. That's not the trial of your faith. Your trial of your faith works like this. Here comes temptation down the road, and it's trying to get you to buy into all of its garbage and you say, no, I trust in the power of the blood of Jesus. My faith is being tried to trust God. My faith is being tried to stay in peace. My faith is going to work to believe God. That's where my faith is going to work. I'm not going to focus on the wrong. I'm not going to focus on the bait to sin. I'm not going to focus on the temptation. I'm not going to focus on the depression. I'm not going to focus on the pressure. What am I going to focus on? Jesus. Who I believe. I'm going to focus on Jesus. I'm going to look at him, the author and the what? The finisher of my faith. And my faith will be tried right there. What do I believe God? What do I believe him? Will I be perfected, settled, and strengthened? Or will I, you know, start putting that bait in my mouth and giving it a chew? Well, that's the uncomfortable part. Well, I feel uncomfortable, so I ran away from God. Not the answer. 
Run to him every time. Run to him every time. Your trial, that place where you decide, that place where you press in, that is much more precious. You will find that when you press in, when you push back, when you say, no, devil, you're not having me today. When you say, no, I believe in the power of that blood. When you say, no, it is a precious thing. I have made mistakes and fallen, so don't think I never have. But the days that I decide to believe in the face of temptation, it feels like God's never been so close. It is so precious. It is so wonderful. And my goodness, the gladness I feel for not giving in. There is a great joy in that. How many people, you know what I'm talking about. You get that place where you, you're like, I did it. <laughs> I resisted. And if you've never tried it, you need to start. Amen. You'll find that great joy it's talking about. He said, much more precious than of gold that perishes, though it be tried with fire might be found, what? To the praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. Wouldn't you like to stand there in that day and go, I did my best. There were days I resisted. It was so good. It was so good. They tried to get me to do the other things, but I believed you. It wasn't always pretty, but I believed you. There were days when I was mad as spit, but I believed you. <laughs> I've been mad. I've been angry. I haven't liked the devil, like, at all. I don't like when he touches my family, and I don't like when he touches my church. I don't like it. Makes me mad. Don't touch my people. And then I realized one day God was much more upset about that than I would ever be. And then if I would yield to him, Instead of trying to fix those things or get angry for God, I was going to do better. Isn't that amazing? I don't have to get angry for God. God already knew the stuff. He already had it sorted. Amazing, isn't it? Absolutely amazing. What an honor when I stand before him and know I'm not just forgiven, but I yielded to the power to resist sin. I haven't seen God, it says in verse 8, whom having not seen, I love. I haven't seen him in person, but I can tell you I've seen him in my heart. And sometimes he's seen my heart and showed me my heart, which is why I yielded to conviction. It wasn't about all the wrong. It wasn't about the days filled with wrong thinking. It was just about the places in my heart that he still didn't own. There are places in his heart and in your heart he wants to own. And when we begin to yield to that place, that place, then we realize there's something much more precious he wants to do in our life. Let's be real. We all know where we stop God. We all know. And that's why it's uncomfortable when the Holy Spirit starts to touch it, there is a place where we say, yes, I yield. We sing songs of surrender. Yes, I surrender all. And then he says, you know, when you surrender, you're not weird. That little bit over there, that was kind of weird, you know. I'm not really like that. 
but you like that kind of weird thing. You like to do things kind of your own way. And he said, you know, and he starts to touch it. And it's your little idol, the little place where you didn't let him in. And it's not very comfortable there. And then you look to others and you try to get them to align with your discomfort. Say, didn't you feel uncomfortable there? I think there's something wrong with God and his church. You know, he's not really up to date. He's not really, these church people, they're not really with it. The church needs to step up and come out of the, uh, come out of the dark ages. Tell you what, folks, you're in the dark and we're in the light ages. There's no darkness in him. He can never be the dark ages. And as long as the church is surrendered to God, it won't be in the dark ages either, ever. But you see, we try to go to people to get them to align with the things that make us uncomfortable. We've got to allow the Holy Spirit to move in those places and let him in further and let him show us our heart so that we can walk in a pure way. There is a great place in there and a great honor and a great wonder. Paul encountered that in Romans chapter 7. In Romans 7, 7, it says, what should we say then if the law sinned? You see, we don't know where, and we wouldn't know where sin was if the law hadn't come and showed us stuff was sin. We'd have just been wandering aimlessly in the garden trying to look at flowers and trees. He says, what should we say then? Is the law sin? God forbid. Nay, I had not known sin, but by the law, I had not known lust, except the law has said, you shall not covet. And in today's church, we think that lust has everything to do with sex, and it doesn't. Lust is when it's that craving and drive to have something other than God. He says, but sin taking occasion by the commandment wrought in me all manner of concupiscence. For without the law, sin was dead. And what that means is this, is there's a place where if we continue to go that way, we will have it rule our life. And the little things that we don't want to yield become bigger. I've noticed this, you know, oysters, they produce pearls and a lot of people like them, but they're really just covered junk. And the long, longer they cover the junk, the bigger the pearl gets. Now, I think when God made his big pearly gate, that was a different story. And he didn't have to start with junk because he doesn't cover junk up. He gets rid of it. But when you let little things lie, they grow in all the wrong ways. He says in verse nine, he says, I was alive without the law once, but when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. You know, when you get your eyes open to what is God and what is right, it's hard to say nothing to see here. And the commandment which was ordained to life, I found to be unto death for sin taking occasion by the commandment deceived me and it slew me. I can't tell you. How many times I got stuck in that mess because sin, when you play with it, will pull you in and try to run your life. And Jesus didn't go to the cross so you could have that work and work and work and torment you until you die and slide under the gate. You don't have to live that way. You can allow the Holy Spirit 
to let those uncomfortable bits be dealt with by the Spirit of God. You can let him come in and you can yield to it and have, have real true victory and freedom over it. Amen? I know this, Paul got victory. He didn't get under it. But this was a true story right here. It says, wherefore the law is holy and the commandment holy, just and good. And he said that was the place where he surrendered. That was the place where love came in. That was the place where God overtook and came in and made a difference in lives. Will we allow the discomfort of conviction to come into our life so that we can face it once and for all and bring it to the cross? I don't know what to take to the cross unless he shows me. I could have all kinds of ideas. Lots of people do. They get an idea about sin. Well, it must be this. I must be falling because of that. But when we're yielded and God comes in and he begins to show us and we feel very uncomfortable, don't back away. Don't withdraw. Don't make a joke. Face it. And then allow the Holy Ghost to come in and take that thing right out because it doesn't, he doesn't want that thing controlling you anymore. You will feel comfortable after. You will feel better. And just like when you go to the doctor and you know there's something really bugging you and it has to have a knife come in and cut that bit out, you sure feel better after. I've watched myself and children almost be crippled over a small sliver. But when that sliver comes out, you see, it's not the size of the sin. It's that it gets stuck in there. And the Holy Ghost is here through the blood of Jesus to remove every stick, to remove every prick, and to have that place made whole. Some people get stuck because God didn't move in their life the way they'd hoped he would. They didn't like the fact that things haven't turned out in life as they imagined. And it's been there like a sliver too long. And today the Holy Spirit would like to have you come free of that thing. We're going to be celebrating communion this morning. And communion is the place where we remember the power of the blood of Jesus to remove every prick that's been troubling, every place that it's come in and tried to move you from believing and trusting, every place that's been irritated. You don't have to be irritated anymore. And you don't have to live frustrated. You can yield and have the Holy Ghost through the blood of Jesus, those partners work together in your life and come free. Thank you for listening today. We hope you have been strengthened and encouraged by the message you've heard. To hear more from our pastors or to learn more about Celebration Life Church, you can visit our website at celebrationlife.ca. You can contact us by phone at 604-594-7327 or you can write to us at Unit 2A, 13139 80th Avenue, Surrey, BC, V3W3B1.